Life is a journey, that is a fact, there's no doubt about that. And I think when I was younger I used to think when you get to an age of maybe 30 that that journey would be over and you would be mature and complete. But when I got there it's not actually true, is it? Now as Lee said, we're in Romans and we're about halfway through Romans um, today. I think there's 12 chapters, so we're doing chapter 6, so we're halfway. So I just thought I'd give a little recap or a little summary of, of where we've been and where we're going. It says here, Paul clearly sets forth the foundations of the Christian faith and that all people are sinful. Christ died to forgive sin. We are made right with God through faith. This begins with a new life, with a new relationship with God. Like a sports team that constantly reviews the basics, we will be greatly helped in our faith by keeping close to these foundations. If we study Romans carefully, we will never be at a loss to know what to believe. So that's a very brief summary of the first few chapters of Romans up to chapter chapter 6. Now the next few chapters, 6 and 7 and even part of 8, talk about a word, sanctification. Now sanctification, I looked up in the Bible dictionary and this is the the good description. It involves more than a mere moral reformation of character brought about by the power of the truth. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influence of the new gracious principles implanted in the soul by God. Sanctification is a journey or a process. It takes time and it's important to remember this as we go through chapter 6 this morning that that is the case. Unless you've lived in a country where slavery existed, I think for us it's a very difficult thing to understand. It's not a concept that I can relate to easily. Some people I've heard say I'm a slave to my work or a slave to my boss but you always had that choice haven't you to leave that situation but to be a slave you didn't, your choices were taken away. Your options were taken away. You had your freedom was restricted. You were controlled by somebody or something. You know one of the, if you go back to the original meanings of slavery it was to be a captive. You had no freedom, you were imprisoned. In 1863, slavery was outlawed in most states in the United States. Well, it took a few years for that to actually materialise. They eventually had this thing called the Emancipation Proclamation, which basically was a uh, directive from the government to order to free slaves. You know, slavery had existed for over 100 years so that the people that were alive at that stage would have known nothing different that were slaves. They never knew freedom, that's all they knew. A boy whose parents were slaves tells a little story how when he was nine years of age, a United States officer came to the town he was living in. And when he came to the town, he got all the people, all the slaves gathered into the centre of the town and uh, this officer read the uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And after he went through, he said it was quite a few pages, he went through it and um, he said at the end that you all are free 
over 100 years of slavery over and done with just by reading that document. They could all go and do as they pleased. He said he remembers looking at his mother who leaned over and was kissing her children while tears ran down her face and she explained what it meant. She said, this is a day that I thought I would never see. I've been praying and longing for all my life. She had lived as a slave her whole life. She knew what freedom from the bondage of slavery would mean. Wild rejoicing, you can imagine, can't you? A hundred years of slavery is gone. Only lasted for a brief period. The responsibility of being free and having charge of themselves, having to plan for themselves, their family, was now a harsh reality. It was like sending a 12-year-old out into the world to provide for themselves. The dilemma that had challenged the Anglo-Saxon race for centuries was now a reality for them to solve. Questions such as a home to live, an income, education, citizenship, even establishing churches. What many had longed for was now a challenge to behold. You know, some of these slaves were in their 80s. They were incapable of going out and getting a job and earning a living. They had no superannuation. How were they going to exist with strange people in a strange place? You know, some of these slaves had become strangely attached to their master and even their master's children. And some of these slaves had spent 50 years or more serving their master. Gradually, one by one, the older slaves began to return to their old master to ask about their futures. After a short celebration, many former slaves returned to the fields to continue their servanthood as sharecroppers. They were officially free to go anywhere. Little had changed for them in reality. Legal freedom from slavery represents, presented slaves with the opportunity to live as free men and women, turning their legal status into actual experience would require an internal transformation. For many, this challenge was too great. They instead chose the familiarity of slavery instead. For us who have never known slavery, it seems a foolish thing to do. Yet I think as Christians we're guilty of this very thing. We can choose freedom over slavery. Having been set free to live as free men and women comes neither easily or naturally. It's a process. It's a journey. It's just like salvation. It must be accomplished supernaturally. It takes time to transform a newly freed slave of sin into a fully mature individual. The term used here is sanctification, to become holy. It's a work in progress that requires divine intervention. If we could turn to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 6. So I'm reading out of the NIV and this is what it says in Romans chapter 6. The heading in my Bible here said freedom from sin's grasp what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we died to sin how can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death 
we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer, your part, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then, shall, what then shall we sin because we are no, not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to, dis, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of the teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness." When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have many choices, as we saw this morning. You have a choice to do a lot of things in life. And one of them is you have a choice whether you ultimately want to put your faith and trust in God, isn't it? That is a choice that you make. And once you've made that choice, then it's how far do you want to take it from there. You know, as I said, sanctification or to become holy, it is a work in progress and it requires divine intervention. Now I think as human beings we do like progress but I think now we've come to the point we only like it if it's quick. It's got to be done quickly. Make it snappy, drive through meals. Don't tell me I can't have it today. I'm not waiting three weeks to have my windows cleaned. This is the way of the Western world. 
If you don't like it, try a move to India. <laughs> People used to love test cricket, didn't they, Raph? Five days of toing and froing, going off the ground if the sun went behind the clouds, get off the ground if it looks like rain. You know, people likened it to a game of chess. But what happened? Now we have 2020 cricket. Three hours, it's done. You know, some people say they don't even get comfortable in their seat for that game. The weight loss or the health industry is a classic example, isn't it? Don't pound the pavement for hours in a week. Don't try and find the time to have a balanced lifestyle. Buy this new piece of equipment. Use it five minutes a day while you watch TV. Same result in less time. It's all about progress, but make it quick. The problem with this is that we try to apply these same principles to the Christian life. We want an instant solution, a quick fix. We want to become mature Christians without the time or commitment involved to become one. You know, people might say, I commit two hours of my time on a Sunday to go to church. Don't tell me I'm not committed. When I was reading this, I was thinking back to um, when I was at school and you used to get the, I think they were mainly maths books and you'd have a series of questions you'd go through but in the back of the book were the answers. Now that was pretty good for a lot of people. (laughs) You had two choices in this situation, didn't you? You could open the book and work through the questions, research the answers and fill them in. Or you could cut to the chase, copy the answers from the back of the book. One involves some time, commitment and some perseverance. The other involved the skill of having a ruler in the back of the book and remembering how which answer went with which number. If you used the second method, you really learnt nothing, didn't you? When it came time for the exam, you did not know. You would say, I remember maybe you know, kids saying to the teacher, we, 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 never, we were never taught this, we didn't learn this. He said it was in your workbook. But on the other hand, if you had learnt the text, you could have used the knowledge in the future. The Apostle Paul, after his conversion, I used to think when you read through that he just went bang, 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 bang through his life. He went from one to the other to the other. But it's not actually, when you look through, it was um, over ten years after his conversion that he did his first missionary journey. He spent many, many years listening to God, reading and praying and spending time with Christians. He was trying to gain an understanding of about the Christian life so that he could become a mature Christian. This is what the author of, in Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know, when the Olympics come up this year, there's a lot of events, but probably one of my favourite is the 100 metre sprint and you see them lined up there, they've done their preparation, they've done their training. The gun goes, I think it's under 10 seconds, it's all done. I mean, no perseverance required in that race, is there? I mean, there's perseverance in the training, but the actual race, it's over and done with. We look at the marathon, 42 kilometres. 
it requires perseverance, pushing. It's a struggle. It's you, you know, you hit the wall, don't you, Laurel? As you say, you know, it's, you hear that term quite often. Very different activities. One, Paul knew the importance of being prepared spiritually, and one commentator I read described it like this. He talked about the Puritans. I'm not sure if you heard about the Puritans, but they were a group of um, Protestant British Christians who lived around the 16th and the 17th century. Now, these people were committed Christians, many of whom died for their beliefs. He described the Puritans as redwood trees. Now, he was an American. We don't, I don't know if we have redwoods here, but they are massive trees. You could live in one of them. They're that big in the trunk. They're huge. These trees have a massive root base to sustain a tree that grows over 90 metres tall. They survive howling winds, bushfires, earthquakes, floods, droughts. You know, these trees are near on bulletproof. But this is how this man described the Puritans. He said they were deeply rooted in the word of God. They were strong. They were upright. They were durable, not shaken easily. Then he looked at the modern day Christian in the Western world and this is how he describes us. Many of us have become like shallow rooted bushes. We have sprawling roots that sit close to the surface. We have no deep roots to anchor us through the storms. Not substantial enough to endure endure fires. He said, where have all the redwoods gone? Where have the Christians with the deep roots in the Bible Christians with decades of refining by the Lord. Years of not going to church or being on a committee, teaching Sunday school, but years of deep-rooted time in God's word. I remember listening to a speaker many years ago and he said you know, he'd run a convention and people from America would drive all the way across the state to hear him speak. He said but the following morning they wouldn't get up and open their Bible. They were prepared to drive the distance, the journey, the whole thing, just to hear him deliver a speech. But they wouldn't, for whatever reason, be able to open up the word of the word of God the next day. Allowing God to forge your character through the good and the bad times. You know, these Puritans are what we would call in Australia fair income or sold out Christians. I was recently speaking to someone who is involved with an AFL football club. Uh, he goes down there and has a bit of involvement with this club and uh, he knows the, um, the pastor that's involved there. And I was asking him, you know, he was saying there's some Christian guys at this club and he was talking about the culture of a football club and, you know, it's, it is changing slowly but it's quite a manly sort of a place with, you know, certain things that they seem to deem it acceptable so I said to him what is it like for these Christian guys to be involved in this club he said you know if they're deemed to be fair income they're fine but he said if they're seen to be fence sitters he said they get eaten alive you know non-Christians do not like Christians that are not fair income they deem them not you know they call them fence sitters or many other words like that You know, Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, who we were, I'm sure we've all heard of, 
in the, I was reading an article about him and in his home, in one of his passages, he had a table and he used to open up a Bible and lay it on this table. And as he walked through the house during the day, he would look at this open Bible and read some verses of it. Then he would go off and he would just let them mull them over. He'd contemplate them, go through them. This could be the same verse for days or set of verses. He'd just digest them. You know, he could spend hours contemplating a verse or two, returning each time as he walked past. Where have all the Redwood Christians gone? Christian living depends on Christian learning. If Satan can keep us ignorant, he can keep us ineffective. Sinning can also keep us ineffective and Satan uses this in many ways to keep us from reaching maturity. You know, when you prayed the prayer to ask Jesus to forgive your sins, at that moment that's exactly what happened. From that moment your sins were forgiven and you no longer were a slave to sin. Paul is not suggesting that Christians are sinless in this chapter. Perfectionists, it doesn't happen while we're on earth. You can read through, it tells you that in many places it is a contradiction to believe that that is the case. What he is saying is that you either live under the power of sin or under the power of God. And those who have died to sin cannot any longer be dominated by it. Sin no longer reigns in the Christian body and life. Pre-conversion, sin was your master. It had control over us. But after conversion, the chains of sin were cut. Our relationship with sin will never be the same again. In Galatians 2.20, this is what it says, It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. We live under grace. You know, when I was thinking about this, I was driving past a a business and had a big banner across the front under new management. And I thought, maybe when we become a Christian, we could wear a cap or a shirt and it said, under new management, because that is the reality. The management has been changed. Our obligation to sin is no more. Suppose you spent some time in jail and while you're in jail you had, there was a prison guard. He could order you around. He could say to you, go and eat. Sit down, stand up. Make your bed, meal time. Whatever he chose, you were obligated to do or you suffered the consequences. Suppose on the release of, you've been released from prison and you're walking down the street and that same prison guard walks up to you and he says, cross the road on the other side, go home, make your bed, mow your lawn. He would have no authority over you in that situation, would he? The, his power was under the control when you were in the prison. Once you were released from prison, he has no authority over you. Too many of us today, I think, we're called what? They call good, we live between Good Friday and Easter. We believe in the cross. But we don't live out the power and the glory of the resurrection. You know, if we can gain a better grasp 
of this, we will desire to spend more time in his word, gain a better understanding and we will get a better understanding of what the cross really means in our day-to-day lives. And that's how spiritual maturity happens. As our knowledge grows, we begin to lay deeper roots into our relationship with Christ, which in turn shapes our character. That's how those big redwood trees are made. If at this time... Oh, sorry. Having this week... Lee was talking about Jim Steins. He was an interesting man, wasn't he? So I did a little bit of research and found out that when he came out from Ireland, I think he was about 17 or 18, he went on to play 200 games of football. He won a Brownlow. He represented Victoria in football. He represented Australia and Ireland in Gaelic football. Yet as great a sporting achievement as this was, I've hardly heard anybody speak about his football prowess this week. People this week have not been talking about how great a footballer he was. He's really been talking about his off-field endeavours, as Lee said. You know, he was, as a non-footballer, he was named Victorian of the Year twice, Melbourneian of the Year once, He received the Centenary Medal, the Medal of the Order of Australia. He started the REACH Foundation that helps youths fulfil their potential. This week I've heard his his friends speak of him, people who never met him speak of him and people who had brief contact with him speak of him, yet not about his football achievements. You know, you'd think in a town, Melbourne, we're known as the sporting capital of the world, where sportsmen are kings, really. You would think that that would have been the thing that people would remember about him. I mean, there's many footballers. I think not over 90 footballers have played over 200 games, but I don't know any that have had a state funeral for themselves. In a town like Melbourne, where sport reigns supreme, yet hardly a mention of the sport he played, People wanted to talk about his character, didn't they? The man he was. As great as a sportsman he was, and he was a great sportsman, he was a person by all accounts who had deep compassion for others. He had the convictions of his belief. He was humble. He was caring. He was not afraid to take a stand on injustice. He persevered under tough circumstances. You know, I have no idea of the spiritual component of the man, but the attributes and character traits I heard him praise for are straight out of the Bible. You know, our character ultimately defines us, doesn't it? We hear people, but you can say a lot of things. You can achieve a lot of things in your life. You can be great at your job. But if you are a person that entered into a personal relationship with God, you have the spirit of the living God in you and it is your character that will count. And your mission in life is this, to allow God's character to work its way out in your everyday lives. I can tell you now, and if you ask anybody else, it will take perseverance. At times it will be tough. The journey will be hard. You will need a hand to get through it at times. But God is faithful and he will be there. But that's how those redwood trees are made. The Christian ones I'm talking about.
the Christians that stand tall through the storms of life, the ones that have let God's spirit over many years permeate their character, the people that we go to in tough times for wise counsel, because we have seen them display this character in their lives over and over again, the ones who have persevered over the decades to ensure they are firmly rooted in the principles of God. That's how those redwood trees are made. If you are a redwood, your challenge is to be cultivating little redwoods around you, putting time into these people's lives, helping them to become mature Christians where their foundations are firmly planted in the principles of God so that they can stand firm through the storms of life. If you are a Christian and you do not fit into the category above, are you on the journey or have you stagnated? Have you been treading water? Lost your way for whatever reason, it's time to get your head back in the Bible. You may need to ask yourself this question. In the last year, have I matured as a Christian? Have I become more Christ-like in the last 12 months than I was the previous 12 months? If, the, if not, why not? What is hindering me or you from doing this? These are only questions that you can answer for yourself. You may need the help of a mature Christian for some guidance, but ultimately the choice is yours. And I believe if you've made the choice to come here this morning... None of us, I don't believe, want to be those bushes with the roots up near the surface. We want to be those redwood trees with our faith deeply rooted in the word of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you give us. We thank you this morning for Laurel and the display that she made for her faith in you and the direction of her life and we thank you for that. We pray now as we go out this week, we pray that we are confronted by so many choices, some good, some bad, and I pray the opportunities to sin are numerous, but I pray that we are under new management from our previous life, and I pray that we will look to you for guidance, we will look to you for strength, and that you will guide us through this time. I pray as the storms of life come to each and every one of us at various times, that you'll help us to put our roots down deep enough so that we can stand tall through this time. And I ask for all these things in your name. Amen.